welcome to episode 15 of What's Your Jam for Fringe 2017, conversations about what makes us happy and drives us over a cup of tea and a jam's gone. Uh, my guest for this show is uh, Johnny Potts, comedian, performer, uh, father, uh, personality, generally rad dude. We've worked together a few times on Cool Things and uh, this was a really great chat. We um, we sort of followed our noses and ended up talking about, well, mostly constraints in a creative sense and just following on from that. And there's a whole lot of recommendations for for comedy and things that you should watch and listen to. Basically, Johnny's got great taste. You should listen to the things he recommends and watch them and, and see what happens. Um, this is the 15th episode. We're in the last week, friends. Last week of Fringe. Well, not the last week of Fringe. We're still in week two of Fringe, but uh, we're in the last week of podcast recording which is pretty exciting and I'm feeling really good about it all. Um, please uh, enjoy this episode. How's it been with a picture of Jeff Buckley up there? Has really it been like distracting? It. No, it's, it's kind of just generally, it's, it's featured a couple of times. People have mentioned it, which is sweet. Do you know who he looks like in that picture? And uh, now you'll always see it? Uh, is it James Franco? No, he, look, well, he looks like James Franco in general. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know, specifically in that picture, and I've never noticed it before. Yes. He looks like Joel from the Fringe Bar. Oh, Joel. Now I have a picture of Joel from the Fringe Bar on my wall. It's the eyes, I think. Yes. Yeah. They're very soulful. You have soulful eyes, Joel. We've just <laughs> decided that. Now you have to listen to this podcast so that you Joel's know great. talked about you. He's such a wonderful person. He is a good, he's a good human. This microphone is just being very quiet, and I don't understand why. What does it want? What does it want? That's better. Maybe I'm just talking quietly today. Maybe that is. That's fine. That's fine. This is very good. Hey, thanks for coming on What's Your Jam? Thank you. No problem. Thank Yay. you, Jen. You're welcome. How's, how's that uh, tea leaf tea? It's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I, I used to have, I used to get all the tea leaf tea. It's so young. Yeah. What made you stop? Oh, uh, I think uh, I, I lost the teapot in the divorce. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, because I, I, my ex-girlfriend and I lived together for like eight years and we right. had this wonderful setup where we had a station with all these tea leaf products mm. and all this very coffee and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of uh, just stick to the basics these days. So this is wonderful, but it feels slightly wrong because it feels like it should be just normal tea. You know, but, it tastes but it's not. It's different. There's more going on. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Yes, that's yum. And you've also got a nerd degree cup, which is pretty great. Nerd degree is this podcast, right? Yeah. From, um, from Christchurch. Christchurch, yes. Yeah. Have you ever listened to it? I think I heard one episode that you and Matt were on. Oh, yeah. But I think I listened because you two were on. I imagine it's good. <laughs> I, I imagine it's good if you're a nerd. It's very charming. It's it's a panel show, goofiness, um, funny topics. I really enjoy all those humans. Are there different sorts of subjects? Yeah, every show has a different theme. Mm -hmm. People uh, seem to know what they were talking about. I found that intimidating. <laughs> Which what one was? Do you remember what it was? Uh, something about dinosaurs. People, oh. you knew about the different eras and things. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that one because Matt was in it, and Matt know, knew a lot about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. The best part of that episode was the terrible wizards. Did you listen to that part? Where the host's children described dinosaurs, and we had to guess yes. what they were. That's what. That's the other thing that intimidated me. It was all of the preparation that went into it. Yeah. Because yeah, and, and they were talking about the the spines and the yeah yeah the kids were describing he had spiny all that. feet and a thumpy tail and oh my god that's so much preparation and there were people there listening to it yeah um like a live audience and stuff yeah. 
because I think because I spent hardly any time in Christchurch, mm-hmm. I forget that there are other places where people like other little artistic yeah, ecosystems yeah. and things. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. It's done at Orange Studio, which is like they're doing great work because there are live. You can have live performances there, or you can record things. I think they hold other events, and they now have this amazing uh, saxophone beer tap. So, like, they've got a tap that when you it's it's got a saxophone instead in front of it, and when you when you pour beer, it plays saxophone music. Is that to encourage people to drink responsibly? I think so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time you pour the drink, you're like, ooh. But when we did the Stars Star Wars episode, it played like um, Darth Vader's theme or something like that. It was beautiful. It's a glorious. It's a really fun show. You should listen to it, audience. Nerddegree.com. Uh, I think it's Nerddegree. It's not The Nerd Degree. It's just, it says The Nerd Degree on my mug. That's the name of the show, but I think the, oh. the, the URL is Nerddegree.com. Okay. But no, it's very charming. It's amazing. And they, they, they came can up afford and... their own mugs. <laughs> I think I could give them that the first time I did it. It was really great. You have to hold it with your right hand so that it, um, so that people can see. Well, you so know, this like is the placement. Yeah, you, you need to hold it like that so people can see. Mm-hmm. But surely, if you buy a mug for something, you're the fan. Exactly. You know, so you, so you should be holding it. it with the left hand. I think I do hold mine with my left hand quite quite frequently. Right. My do... mug's trade aid, and I got it for Joe for Christmas because it's really nice and big. Mm-hmm. One of the big mug. <laughs> the real passive aggressive one is to go like this. Oh yeah. So is to mask the whole thing with your hand. Just in case you have to make a coffee and a drink for something you do not endorse. Yeah. Or if you're gonna be like in an ad for something else. Mm. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh so what would you what would you if someone said what's your jam? What's mm. what answer comes to mind quickly? Or are there um, a lot of answers? Lots of stuff. Yeah. I, I, I suppose. Because you did a whole show about your jam on Iggy Pop. Oh, yeah. Which was, which was yeah. epic. Um, that was... Yeah, that was like a writing exercise. Because mm-hmm. I went... Um, oh, that, in fact, that's a good that's a good uh, thing to, to jam Writing on. exercises. Well, do, have you, do, you, do you know, do, do you know this, this bunch of French authors called the Oulipo? No. Um, Tell me about the Oulipo. <laughs> well, it's a it's a it's a it's a word, a made up word, mm-hmm. uh, and it means uh, it's a shortened version of the French for the workshop of potential literature. Mm-hmm. And what they do, a lot of them are dead now. It sort of flourished in the sort of mid century. Yeah. Um, they um, set themselves writing like constraints. Right. So they can only work within certain parameters, mm-hmm. and then they create uh, new. You know, they call it potential literature like right. what would happen if you could only do this uh-huh. so probably the most uh famous example of it is uh, is um george perrick who wrote loads of books and stuff uh-huh. uh he wrote a book which in english is called a void which is a 360 page novel without using the letter e oh. um and which of course then needed to be translated into english um from the french so in French, it had no ease. In French, no no ease, and then it had to be translated into English. Into English. No ease. The problem with that, a big problem with that, is um, uh, in the French one, all of the nouns had to be um, either masculine or elided with a with a l apostrophe. Oh yeah. Um, uh, or, but in English, you can't use the word the. Mm, yeah. mm, different the, challenges. The other problem with it was that two people were translating it at the same time. And, and only, and then neither of them knew, and only one of them had uh, access to the copyright. So someone oh. translated a, a version of the book that never got um, 
never got seen. But they have all this other cool stuff as well. Yeah. Like there's one called um, a writing exercise called the the prisoner's constraint, which mm-hmm. is where you can only use vowels and letters uh, and and consonants that if you type them on a keyboard, type them on a typewriter, don't come above or below like a lowercase e. So you can't have Y. Right. You can't have H, but you can have M. Oh, so, oh, so like you mean like literally, literally like the shape of the, the shape word. Of it, yeah. Right. So, oh, wow. so it reads just no as G's, a, no P's, no B's. None of that. Yeah. So it, re- it reads just as a, like a straight line of ticker tape. If you if you see them written yeah. out. Um, uh, Perak wrote a whole bunch of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italo Calvino, the Italian author, was mm-hmm. associated with with them, mm-hmm. um, and I got really into them. Uh, through a book by Raymond Kino, I think he pronounced mm-hmm. his name, called Exercises in Style, which is where he wrote the same story uh, something like 70 times, but in different uh, styles. And when you say the same story, like sort of the same plot points? Or it was the same... It's just something like a man getting on a bus mm-hmm. and noticing someone's buttons missing or something. It's just a, it's just a, a scene. Mm-hmm. But it's done... And all these different, is that in a haiku? Is that as a film script? You know. Wow. Um, so <clears throat> when I put that show together, mm-hmm. I've been I've been really into all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and Perak in particular. Uh, and so I gave myself a constraint to write around, which mm-hmm. was, um, I had a good opening story and a good closing story, which had two elements Mm -hmm. and so i had to come up with different uh, different stories which contained both of those elements yeah and that was fill in the gap between yeah and so the show as it is Mm -hmm. would not have happened if i just if i just gone i'm going to do a show that is generally about these themes yeah uh but when you need to do i mean it's because and that happens in improv as well yeah enabling constraints yes you have yeah they're literally called enabling constraints Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. it's because it's the if you're presented with okay, you can do anything. Like, like being presented with the option of doing literally anything on stage is very overwhelming. Like, how the hell do you narrow that down and decide what you're going to do? Versus like, uh, okay, in this game or in this scene, you two know each other. Great, great. Like even having that small thing of you can be anybody, but you know each other. Mm. Even that little bit just gives you so much more to work with. And the audience has something to hang things on as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's just, yeah, it's so much more simple. I did a, I did a workshop once where um, it was for Jason Geary's show Zoom. And the, the, the premise was you started with, by describing, oh, I think it was, oh no, it was a different um, different show. You, you were not the other half of his show during Improv Festival. It was a different oh. one. Uh, but you started with a view of the planet like an entire planet earth and then you zoomed in on one thing and i just i think it was because i was at festival and i was exhausted Mm -hmm. but i just got very overwhelmed at the idea (laughs) of having to pick one thing on earth and i was just like i can't do it (laughs) versus if it had been like uh go somewhere that seems warm great great yeah because warm can be translated different ways or interpreted different ways and it, it just gives you something for your brain to follow yeah so and yeah so yeah, giving you because the the constraints were must include Iggy Pop, must be a story. Oh, uh, Iggy Pop. Th- and- they need to inc- uh, need, needed to inc- uh, true stories from my life needed to include Iggy Pop and uh, booze. Yeah. Um. So if there was just just one of those things, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it had to go. Yeah. 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 And so, but and, and once you start 
putting putting these things together because initially I was just sort of ticking off years, mm-hmm. you know, going okay, there's one for two thousand and seven, done, you know, yeah. um, and then you see how they fit together in a, you know, mm. to make a narrative, and then you get the idea of what you know, and then um, I didn't know what the show was like until I did it mm-hmm. for the first time to an audience to an audience, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, still because I did it a few months ago. Um, it's still got new things bubbling up. New elements of it are are mm-hmm. interesting, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that general sort of stand up shows uh, for me haven't been haven't been as rewarding. Mm-hmm. They've only been sort of it's always been just a chance to sort of get get better at it, or mm. you know. But this when you're sort of more finding new links between stories and going, oh, I've noticed this theme's coming through, and I can heighten it this way. Is that the sort of thing you mean? Or? Yeah, you notice different because you. I'm kind of aware of what the pillars of the show are, mm-hmm. but then all these sort of little canopies and things start, uh, and, and mirrors yeah. of of other things start start popping up. And um, even the way I designed the set, I, I, I realized I'd done some sort of you know little interesting things with color and mm-hmm. you know. So when you say set, do you mean sorry physical set or the set? Oh, the physical the, set. The yeah, physical yeah, yeah. set. Yeah. It's just sets another word for the comedy That's lingo right, in there. Yeah. So just gotta be clear. Um, <laughs> and are you? Is that something that affects? Like, do you do you take that approach from for much of your comedy and theatre writing, or is that was that just a one off? Or um, doing the constraints. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the other thing, of course, where you're forced to use constraints is um, the forty-eight hour film competition. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I've done five of those and they've all done quite well three of them have gotten the grand final great um so but as a but i don't know i'm i'm finding it harder and harder to figure out what's the right approach to take to to something like Mm -hmm. if i have an idea Mm -hmm. um is the best is the best way to to get it across through a character Mm -hmm. or through something that's that's just written or is it just an, an idea that I can do as straight stand-up or does it need to be sort of enveloped into a larger show? Because mm-hmm. elements of that show, the Iggy Pop show, mm-hmm. uh, worked fine as standalone bits yeah. or didn't quite work as standalone bits and then, you know, I realized needed the heft of the show behind it to make it mm-hmm. land. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm really worried at the moment about <laughs> maybe... You know, maybe maybe these enabling constraints are are useful, and and I should just impose them all the time because mm-hmm. I get something out of it. Yeah. But at the same time, sort of going well, I'd like to be able to just do just ordinary stand up. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> just and, normal yeah, jokes. Yeah. Yeah. But, so I've been consciously trying to get back to doing that now, mm-hmm. now and it's going terribly. Oh. I've written about ten minutes in a year. Yeah. Um. Just just trying to do the 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 discipline of the writing bits yeah. thing, you know. And and so when you say you're just writing stand, so the blah, um, writing with no constraints is it just literally like what's something that's funny and trying to expand on it, or do you what inspires those? The the original idea. No, no, not the not the constraints. They're like um, the attempting to write regular stand up. All right. 
that you only have 10 minutes off so <laughs> <laughs> well 10 minutes maybe yeah. maybe an exaggeration i've got yeah. i've got a bit but yeah. i haven't i haven't got as as much as i would have hoped for yeah. you know but so what i mean is writing just traditional sort of stand-up bits mm-hmm. which uh you know which adhere to all those rules mm-hmm. um so it's an easy story to follow you can cut it up quite easily but mm-hmm. it has you know callbacks and Rules of three. Whatnot. Rules of three. And and all that. And yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff, yeah. So Pullback and reveal is a, such, a, such a funny one. Yeah. I just, cause, because I, I, I love the, the sense. Uh, what am I trying to say? Whenever I think about the rhythm of stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. I always think of, uh, of, of, of the pullback and reveal as sort of like the epitome of, of how how the person talking on stage does their job. Mm-hmm. I don't know quite what I'm saying. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's how these podcasts work. It's fine. Right. Um, I was just thinking of that because like, so with stand-up comedy, you've got these things like the rule of three and, uh, and pull back and reveal, which like sort of describe shapes of jokes. Mm. And you could almost describe them as constraints because like writing within them helps you develop work. But it also is about, if you don't sort of follow that form, it's it's less likely to just straight up be funny. Doesn't have the it doesn't have the the rhythm yeah. of comedy or the music of mm. of comedy. You can um, you can disrupt things. Mm. You know you can uh, you know br- you know break say the rule of three. Mm-hmm. The rule of, and I, and I think it's quite it can be really quite boring if you see see someone who just always does rule things three, in groups of three, three. three you know sometimes yeah. it's really funny to do two you know if oh. you have one so people get the idea and then a real cracker and then that's it that can be that and can then, be great and then they're almost laughing because well not not almost but like part of the joke is oh i expected more than yeah. and you didn't give it to me and i'm laughing and people will be waiting for it so you've got to be confident enough to you know to, to, to it do on. it and move on yeah yeah which is kind of like being conscious of the constraints and forcefully. Hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call those constraints, no, no. though. I call them tools. Is, yeah, that's better. Maybe that's the thing with constraints as well, because just I'm thinking about the thing of you know having those enabling constraints and those rules. I can hear bottles crashing outside. That's fine. Um, having those constraints and those rules. That's fine. Do you know what that means? Now the bottles crashing outside. Yeah. That means that if I were to expand my Iggy Pop show. Yeah. I can use this story. Yes. Because I can hear booze bottles crashing outside and, and we've, we've been talking about, about Iggy Pop. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but having those constraints does does uh, does spark your brain to do things and to take you places that you would not have gotten to if you were just going, Cool, I'll do anything and, mm. and just just and just follow my nose. So you find that in improv where like, you know, you go, right, this show's going to be this premise we're going to have these this shape is what we're aiming for or this is the genre we're working with and if you just went cool we'll do something that could be anything Hmm. you you're kind of it's too hard to grab onto something and keep going but i suppose everything is is just uh increasing specialization Mm -hmm. you know um that's why that's why the mona lisa is framed like that and isn't just all over the wall in yeah. a picture of a landscape. It's a tiny picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is the, this is the, you know, the, the creating of something is always the exclusion of something else. Yeah, the framing of it and going, here is the edge of this thing that I am making. Yeah. What? Yeah. What, what I think I like about the Ulipo thing is mm-hmm. that it's, it, it, it's, it's almost like this sort of ridiculous postmodern, um, arbitrary yeah. take on it, where 
the constraints themselves don't even really make sense. Yeah. And so it's well, or they they are they are so inf- infuriating, so frustrating. Um, yeah. To the artist or to the audience? To both, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, that the thing that you end up with is something that had no chance of of existing otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it would it would only exist in a world of well, sadomasochists. <laughs> People who go like, you know what, this isn't hard enough. Yeah. I'm going to make this harder. But in in making it harder, I feel like you make it easier. Like, that's the thing that is so stupid about it, is that Mm. you go, right, I'm going to make this really hard so that actually creating something is easier. Because, yeah, if you have every single option and it can be about anything, then it's probably going to be about nothing. But that's that's where anything starts from anyway. Mm. You see? Yeah. So, uh, So it's almost like, the first, the first choice that 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 you that you make is always something that excludes something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you th- and when you think about, I think, what sort of you know uh, a performer or artist or generator or writer or mm-hmm. whatever person you want to be, yeah. there is all there was always a sense that you're um, that you're excluding other things other attitudes other approaches other assumptions it's the opportunity cost of picking something that's something i remember from fourth form economics opportunity uh, cost it's just i didn't take fourth form economics it's just just the idea that (laughs) that's amazing today is going really well this week is going really well um it's the idea that whenever you buy something it means you cannot buy something else Mm. so in economics the cost of buying a house is also includes the cost of not having holidays mm. or not buying a new car because you've bought a house. So when you buy things, it's not just the pure pure price you pay, it's what can you no longer do by doing that thing. So yeah, it's that's what it is. It's exactly what you're saying. Every time you choose something, you are not choosing everything else. So it's almost... Action and reaction action as well. Reaction. Yeah. yeah. And it's also like um, when, you, when you have the constraints... You cut down the number of options you have, which makes it easier to pick something because there's way less that you're saying no to. Because mm. you've already said, yeah, true. you've already done it. So you go, cool. Instead of being like, I've got a hundred choices to make, I've got five. I can mm. pick one of five. Great. Uh, I pick B, um, which is you know, and then from B, B, B. You, mean, you mean two? Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> absolutely. I pick, I pick two. You didn't say you had E choices. I have E choices. <laughs> I pick, pick five. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> letters numbers um i wouldn't pick a because i can't use a no it's fine um uh you know but as soon as you have less choices to make it's like food restaurants food restaurants, <laughs> as yeah. opposed to other restaurants yeah. but you know the restaurants that have like five really good items on the menu mm-hmm. so much easier to pick what you want for dinner so much easier than you like you know you've got like cob and co and there's like two-page spread of like a million things. You go to Cobb & Co? I have. I've been yeah. to Cobb & Co in Levin somewhat recently. Ooh. It's in Levin. I just found a vintage Cobb & Co badge. <gasps> it's giddy up and go to Cobb & Co. Oh, that's really amazing. I worked there briefly. I worked there for about a year in high school. Um, I went there recently. It's terrible still, mm-hmm. but very nostalgic and fun. As far as food restaurants go. Exactly. Right. Uh, it felt like I was just stepping into the 90s. Uh, but, you know, you go to these places with huge menus and it's very mm-hmm. overwhelming versus a place that goes, there's a chicken dish, a beef mm-hmm. dish, a duck dish, vegetarian, and none of the vegetarian. Great. Yeah. that's why it's Very so, straightforward to pick. Like at a wedding or something, you'll mm. see those things. And it's just like, I want the beetroot thing. Yeah. yeah. Give me that. Done. Done. Yeah. It's so much easier to choose when the, 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 the cost of, of, yeah, when the cost goes down. Yeah. The cost of choosing goes down. 
Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of what the benefit of constraints is to free your brain from that. Oh God, but what about all those other options? Mm. Moments. So how do you choose what to, what to base an improv show around? Because that always, because the the thing about the thing about improv shows mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. and the the one the types that you do, mm-hmm. is um, they always they always have similar sorts of results mm-hmm. and process, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the 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 trappings that you use or the you know don't seem uh, as important as that process and the reliability of how how the um, thing is going to be approached. Right. You know, when you say the process, do you mean like how to just improvise? Is yeah. That what you mean? How, how the improvisation plays out. Mm. Like, do you listen to Paul F. Tompkins' Spontaneation podcast? I haven't yet. Uh, it's the funniest podcast I ever. I really, really want to. Yeah. I love him. I just finished listening to all of uh, um, the Paul F. Tompkins? No, no, no. Um, uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, right. Right. Which, Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, it was such a journey. Well, well, loads of those people like Craig Kukowski and Mark yeah, Evan Jackson yeah. and stuff are on, they're on Spontaneous Nation all the time as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so every week it's a it's a different location. Mm-hmm. But the location is, you know, is as far as a constraint goes, it serves its purpose really quickly. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the it's done. And and yeah, there you can you can have fun and joke around with, uh, certain sort of uh, stereotypes or ideas mm-hmm. that you might, call, you know, uh, exaggerated characters and things, mm-hmm. whatever. But it's all essentially the same thing. And he's just had a hundred episodes of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, they're all they're all great. And what I don't remember from them is, oh man, that one that's set in a donut shop. That was the best because it was a donut shop. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, just like uh, with your stuff, I'm uh, actually no, it's a little bit different because I really like the sort of vibe of definitely not witches. Oh and, yeah, that you was know. great fun. <clears throat> yeah, but there are, um, but yeah, the, the 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 means and the ends are essentially the same mm. through um, in. In improvised in, in improvised shows in general, mm. are they not? I guess they are. I've been thinking comedic about ones this. anyway. Comedic ones, yeah. Comedic improv because that's the other thing is that a lot of comedic um, long form. Comedic long form, and comedic long form can look very similar, and then comedic short form can also look very similar because it's short form games and it's the 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 the, the show is less about the individual games as it is about the overall journey sort of thing. Hmm. Um, but there's been several blog posts lately that I really need to actually have time to read, which have been about if we can do anything, how come so much improv looks the same? Mm. Uh, because if it is, if you are literally starting from from nothing and then you start improvising, it can all seem and feel very similar, um, which is not necessarily well. It's it's both a good thing and a bad thing because it's a good thing in that if your improv is strong and enjoyable, then you know, there are people who enjoy that. Like you're, you're listening to spontaneation and it's, you say it's, it feels the same, but it's enjoyable. You know, you get to listen to things that you haven't heard before, but are familiar. Mm. Like, I guess listening to your favorite band, if they made the same album, if they made your favorite album mm. again, but not the same and sort of just keep going. Instead this is of weird like, that you're saying this because this is literally yeah. like, did you see my Iggy Pop show? Yes, I did. This is literally something that I say in the in the oh, end section. I only saw it once, and right. it's been a while, so I can't um, remember. Which is, uh, yeah, they they think that music has the effect that it does because um, it's a, it strikes a balance between being um, novel and familiar. Mm. So it's something that you do 
you, you get how it goes, you get the rhythm of it, or you get the general way that the key changes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something new about it that that, that makes it uh, mm. freshly enjoyable. Yeah. You know, so it's got to strike that balance of being, yeah, familiar and novel. That's def- that, that definitely feels like what, when you're doing, like, I mean, this improv show I'm doing on Saturday is a soap opera, mm-hmm. and it's set in space. Uh, and that space conceit is basically a frame for the show to hang on mm. so that we all have a shared understanding of where we are and what we're doing and why we're there. Are you worried that it's a bit too broad? Specific? Oh, space? Yeah. Oh, we've, we've kind of narrowed down the, like, we're specifically on board a ship and we've come up with backstory for it. Like, I've been sharing this thing on Facebook, which is about how uh, the premise is, is 2117. So it's 100 years in the future, only mm. 100 years. Uh, and humanity has has been reaching out into space and, and, and making its first forays into space exploration. And we landed in the middle of a space war, which we helped broker a peace for because Kiwis were good at peacekeeping. Uh, and now we manage a space station uh, next to a planet that is like an empty planet, but it was, was, con- was contested territory during the space war and we hold the peace. And so that's where we are. And we all know the characters we're going to play beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know why individually we're there, like from a functional point of view, why we're there. And then the rest of the journey will be finding out what, basically exploring the relationships of the people on board. Because the soap opera is all about just drama with a relationship. It's two people get together, they break up, there's a third person involved, there's a fourth and a fifth person involved, there's children, there's dramas, there's all that sort of stuff. There's just big emotional reactions to seemingly small things. Hmm. Um and so the space framework is kind of a fun, colourful background to exploring those relationships. And because it's sci-fi as well, we get to do things like, like Matt Powell's character is called Lieutenant Parathrax. And he's, uh, his, his backstory is that he is a member of the Norn Archive. He's a blue-skinned alien. And Norn archivists can remember the future, but not the past. So, so his thing is that he... Um, yeah, he remembers the future, but in the same way that we remember the past. So it's not that he knows absolutely everything that's going to happen. It's just that he remembers that he's been really good friends with someone for a long... He will be... He remembers that he will have been friends with someone for a long time. And also, uh, there's this idea that um, if he tells people about the future, it can change it. So it's not that he absolutely knows everything. Because as improvisers, if there's one person who's mm. going like, I know everything that will happen... Fuck that person. Like, they're ruining it. But we've made it so that if he does tell people, hey, mm. I've seen this in our future, I remember this, that person can then make changes to, to change it. So that, that we seems can actually like improvise. so much to... It's so complicated. But the great thing about it is he gets to play in that world. <clears throat> we get to explore what that means to have someone like mm. that. And also, because it's improv, we get to find out if that is exactly the case, if there's different things. Like, what does it mean if you know something of your future and you mm. want to change it? Um, we have other characters who are the ambassadors for the two um, alien races and they seem to be friends at the moment but we don't know if that's going to hold and so we get to explore all that sort of stuff Um, but it's all things that thematically I guess you could explore in a different context but we've chosen this one and it's just it's just the it's the opportunity cost right you go cool this is going to be a fun this this world inspires us and makes us go this will be very funny and silly and now we get to see what happens? I can't remember where the sentence started, but I'm really enjoying the show. You can't. Th- you can't. All you've been saying is one sentence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. 
It's, it's so if anyone's transcribing it, sucks for you. <laughs> but just just commas and, and semicolons. Yeah, commas, commas, semicolons, maybe hyphens. If I break off in a sentence, that's fine too. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're picking a world. Yeah, we just sort of it's it's mostly a framework for for the kind of improv we want to happen. Like if I just went, I saw Who last night, um, mm-hmm. the best on tap show, and that's that one's constraint is that. It's uh, all the scenes are inspired by things that the audience gives them where they write down, we ask, they ask the audience, who are you? And you write down something anonymously. So like I am, um, someone said, I am a rocket man was what they wrote down. Someone else wrote, I am a grandmother. I am a new wife, that sort of thing. And they do scenes inspired by that. And their goal is grounded, truthful, honest, serio-comic is the word they use, Mm -hmm. scenes. So aliens aren't going to turn up. In that world they know that um uh they're probably not gonna start space like even though there's a character called rocket man they will make it metaphorical rather than literal <laughs> um because that's what they're that's their style and what they're aiming for and so if you go to lots of shows like that style then yeah you will get a similar experience because mm. that's kind of what happens but it'll be stories that you haven't seen before because improv i mean if it is something you've seen before all the best stories you've seen before because we've seen all the same sorts exactly. of stories Anyway, exactly yeah. exactly and when you finally see those moments where you go i have not seen this before and this is delighting me mm. then that's good but i think i mean even like scripted theater can have that sameness sort of feel to it like yeah well i mean if you if if you if you follow the aristotelian model and whatnot mm-hmm. and three-act structure or whatever and also the idea of just you know saying lines from a script yeah. is of course a constraint exactly so i can only say the words that are on the page yeah i can only talk to the other people on stage with me and not the audience because the audience aren't characters in this world we're making i find it very difficult to stick to that <laughs> well but you don't have to so, so uh, well when, when i do straight plays i do mm-hmm. uh which is rarer and rarer these days mm-hmm. but i mean that wasn't the case in like shakespeare's time and stuff no exactly you know? so it's a different direct address it's yeah it's, it's just the convention that we're mm-hmm. that that we're that we've got now yeah and i'm sure there have been recently some like quite realistic plays which have uh inserted direct address mm-hmm. and um and 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 stuff into them and uh you know weird things like having the story go backwards mm-hmm. like in betrayal and yeah uh, have you seen first five years the last, last five, five years, years sorry <laughs> the sequel to the first five years yeah, yeah. uh no that's two characters going two characters in musical all different directions yeah so the, right. one of them starts because there's only two characters one of them starts at the beginning of the relationship and the other one starts at the end and then they go through and each song they take a step towards the middle and in the middle of the show they're both at the same point of the relationship and then they keep going back so at the end of it the other characters at the beginning of the relationship and the other ones at the end i didn't know that that part of it mm. but everything i've heard and seen about it mm. tells me that i would hate this show <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie version with jeremy jordan and anna kendrick and i like anna kendrick so yeah. i might watch it. i've never seen it, I've just jeremy listened to jordan it. wasn't he jeremy jordan might be the wrong name jeremy someone. jeremy london no jeremy london's a different wasn't jeremy jordan <laughs> the kid on baywatch who played hobie and ended up being a mind a myspace sex star what i think that was his name <laughs> what yes i remember reading an article on him in vanity fair about 10 years okay, ago okay look i think his name is... i have to look this up now because i can't look I... up jeremy look up jeremy jordan okay. because I, I i'm i'm pretty sure that was that was who that was jeremy 
Jordan. No, I did have the right name. Oh. Good. Thank God. And it is him? I, uh, Jeremy Jordan, American actor, singer, and dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he the kid from Baywatch? No. Who's the kid from Baywatch? Jeremy Jackson. Okay. <laughs> I think his name is Jeremy Jackson. And this Jeremy Jackson was someone on Dawson's Creek. Oh, no, it is Jeremy Jackson. Yeah? Jeremy Jackson, best known for his role <clears throat> on as Hobie Buchanan. Mm-hmm. Hobie, what a name. Uh, then he became a MySpace sex star. I don't know. I can't see too much more. But he endorses Ed Hardy clothing, everybody. Do your own Googling now that we've confirmed the name. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Jackson. Too many Jeremys. Too many Jeremys. Too many Jeremys. Too many. There you are. There's your next show. But do, do you find Jer- when you put. So I'm seeing the definitely not which is thing mm-hmm. there now. But when you. Um, when you come up with a new concept, yeah. do you do you have the idea that that is sort of like the the shop window uh, to the rest of the world, and then once they're in, you can sort of smuggle all this good improv stuff? Because <laughs> that's that's so. how I feel sometimes. I think that I think um, I think when you're making a show for an audience, there should be something in it for them that is familiar. Yeah. Or that makes <clears> them go, ah, oh, that's why I want to see that show. Because, uh, hey, come and see some good improv is not actually a selling point. Like, you don't sell a play by going, hey, come and see some good theatre. You say, hey, come and see this play. Yeah. Because it's about X, Y, Z. And because, and, you know, sometimes part of the selling point is and because these people are in it. But, like, the shows that have sold best and often been, like, a really strong creative project have been ones that have a strong concept. Mm that the audience understands and that the performers can reward that familiarity with. So like, uh, definitely not witches was sort of fun because we were like, like just the idea of being like, hello, we are not witches (laughs) was a really fun way of opening the show. Um, and then definitely not the babysitters club. Like people, uh, there's a certain age group of women and, uh, some men came and did, we used to read Babysitter Club books as well and we were like yes good um, uh, who just went Babysitter's Club shit yes and we got to then play in that world and be familiar with the tropes and things but do our own version of that story mm. and sometimes it's it's hard because like there's different schools of thought on like how much preparation is too much preparation for improv and how much are you really improvising if you know the set and the characters already? Yes, you are, because you mm. don't have a script. You're still making it up. Yeah. And is it still improv if you don't get an ask for from the audience? Yes, it is. Mm. Like, it's just a different style. Um, but, yeah, um, I think there's got to be some reason for the audience to come and be excited about what they're going to see beyond just, yay, improv. Like, there are definitely people out there who go, like, I just go to everything improv. Just as there are people who go, like, I love movies. I will go to movies. Mm. But there's probably a genre or a style that you enjoy. Like, maybe you really like theater sports because you just love the goofy gameness of it and the competitiveness side of it. Or maybe you like watching a play like Deep Space Nine-Nine because you're a massive sci-fi nerd. Or watching people play in genres and, and do things that are based off TV shows make you excited. It's... Yeah, it's a constraint and it, well, it's a constraint, it's a choice. We go, this is the world we choose to improvise in. Do nerds ever tell you you got stuff wrong or didn't respect when you're doing something like Space or the Babysitter's Club? I haven't done Space before. Oh no, I've done Space once before. When are you thinking of? 
the one you just did a Star Trek one, I'm sure. I oh, uh, uh, Matt did um, Space Patrol Five, or we did a Return to the Planet of Forbidden Improv. I haven't done Star Trek before, I don't think. Or his Star Trek conventions anyway. Had red shirts in it. Oh yeah, that was Return to the Planet. We had a, we had some right. red shirts. Yeah, that was a witch show that we did, and that was based more on forbidden planet the the like 50s sci-fi movies mm-hmm. versus uh, more than all starring leslie Starship. nielsen yeah <laughs> looking very handsome so young but it's so odd to see to see him before um airplane and naked yeah. gun just playing it straight you go um, when do i laugh yeah oh, wait a minute he is re- really naturally funny person he's got sort of a fred willard quality where he just the shape of his you know mm. face and his head and his haircut and everything. He's just like, that's that something to laugh at. Those are some of my favorite movies. I've seen them over and over again. Have you? Not so much. I saw Forbidden Planet at the movies uh, oh, a couple of years ago. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I watched it just before we did the show, but I can't remember very much from it. Have you watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Oh, yeah. Um, this is making me think about Andre Bauer. Mm-hmm. Brower? Brower. 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 Yeah. yeah, because he is like an ex- sort of Shakespeare, serious, dra- dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. And he is perfect yeah. as Captain Holt. Like, everything he does is deadpan, and it is hilarious. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's so perfect. He didn't, yeah. Uh, uh, my dad worked with Robert Stack mm-hmm. um, on, he came out here and did some Toyota commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he asked him about doing Airplane, doing mm-hmm. Flying High. And Robert Stack was like, I didn't, I didn't think it was funny. I did, uh, you know, and his, he showed it to his wife, and his wife started cracking up, and he said, "I don't know what I'm doing, but okay, I'll go, I'll, I'll do it." Which one's Robert Stack from it? Uh, he's, uh, he's the what's his name? I can't, oh man, I can't believe I don't remember his name. Uh, is he Rex Kramer? He 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 comes in and he's got, he's got the two pairs of sunglasses on. He takes off the first pair of sunglasses. They sit one thing straight here. He's got another pair on underneath, <laughs> so he can take off another pair. Um, <laughs> So he's in but, it, but he didn't realize that what he was doing. He didn't was realize funny. what he was doing was funny, and 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 the Zuckers were just like, okay, just play it as you, just do do you. Yeah, that's all. And it was glorious. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great. It's it's, yeah. it's maybe the funniest movie you ever made. Yeah. Uh, and and then a couple of weeks ago, I was watching basketball for the first time in in ages with yeah. Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and Robert Stack is in that doing his unsolved mysteries person, and I thought, I wonder if he's doing the same thing where he just doesn't understand and he's just doing that thing because the lines in basketball are really funny. Yeah, you know, things like. Um, uh, uh, boy, if I were a girl, I'd sure like him to be my boyfriend. It, well, he's looking down the barrel of the camera. But the thing is, he's not looking down the barrel of the camera. You can see his eyes moving. If you watch basketball, he is reading his lines. He is being so so deadpan that, that he's basically not present. He's just. <laughs> but he's like, but it's but it's hilarious. Yeah, and I didn't notice watching it on a like uh, a twenty inch screen from a VHS. In the late nineties, yes. but now you can see you can his, see his eyeballs are going, you know, with with, with the lines. Oh He's got no idea. Yeah, yeah. Andre Brower, you can tell, does have a um, oh, a he's... sense of uh, self awareness. Yeah, you know, he knows. He knows yeah. he's glorious. That's an um, a, amazingly successfully cast show. Isn't you know, with Chelsea God? Peretti and Joe Latrulio and. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson again yes, as Andre yes, Brown's husband. Yeah. Sparks Nevada. No, he's beautiful. All those characters are glorious. They're just such a wonderful mix of of mess. 
Mm. Like, and they all like each other. Yeah, it's a it's a show with heart. Yes, it's a show yeah. with heart, and it's about cops in New York, which is you know a fun topic, but mm-hmm. also manages to not be terrible. Yeah, really nicely. Again, something which seems like it should be like really played out, mm. you know, but but works. Yeah, and and again, like relies on stereotypes mm-hmm. and tropes. Yeah, you know, to, you know, to a fault sometimes I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it it follows quite conventional sitcom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, format. As but so does like like Thirty Rock followed very conventional sitcom stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so did Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a reason why those those rules work. Yeah, I guess. because yeah. they pay off. Yeah, and it's different. Yeah. Like and I think structure is different to content. Oh yeah. As well, so like the structure of Thirty Rock might mirror. I actually did not watch very much Thirty Rock. I tried to watch season one recently. I watched, I think I watched all of season one, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I should have watched this when it was out the first time." Um, uh, but you know, the structure can be the same, but the content changes. Mm. Yeah, the content changes it, and like the the what happens matters. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. this is all very basic stuff. It's like oh. saying these two books are made out of the same, you know, using, using the same technology. Paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A, a joke that I've been wanting to do on stage for a while is something like, I went to a bookstore the other day, picked up a book, had a look, didn't buy it. I've got most of those words already in other books. Yeah. I can't phrase it right, you know? Yeah. Um, sp- speaking of this content thing, yeah. um, uh, Airplane, mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of people don't realize this, is not just a spoof of 70s disaster movies and, and stuff. Right. It's, um, it's essentially a remake of a 50s movie called Zero Hour. Oh, okay. uh, Because the, the Zuckers and Jim Abrams used to uh, record things on TV, mm-hmm. um, very early VHS, I guess, or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so they so they could then come up with ideas for their theatre company, the Kentucky Fried Theatre Company, yeah. and do, doing spoofs of, you know, late night ads and things mm-hmm. like that. And they ended up recording this whole movie yeah. uh, called Zero Hour, which is the plot of Airplane, Why? of Flying High. And they used it uh, as 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 a basis for the screenplay because they didn't know how to structure a film. Right. They'd, they'd only done one film before, which was the Kentucky Fried Movie, which did have a big sort of ten or fifteen minute uh, kung fu takeoff in the middle, but was mostly just sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the zero hour screenplay, uh, they needed to actually buy the rights to remake it. Right. They thought they could get away with just doing it uh, as a as a um, you know, as a parody, but who who's heard of Zero Hour? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, uh, and it's, uh, uh, there, there are things on YouTube, you can see them, like the scenes side by side. It's the same dialogue. They just did it, ex- it's yeah. the same dialogue. Not exactly the oh, same. right. But often it is. Yeah. Often it's exactly the same dialogue with a gag at the end right. or with a visual gag. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, with the... Uh, so I don't think the I don't think the character names are the same, mm-hmm. but the uh, definitely some of them are like Rex Kramer uh, and Ted Stryker, both uh, both Kentucky Fried Theatre names. I think. Um, <laughs> good names. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think Airplane's like a, a perfect movie. I've probably seen. I'm gonna watch it again. I've seen that more than maybe anything else other than Blazing Saddles. I haven't seen Blazing Saddles. Really? I think I haven't. I wonder how watching it for the first time would be these days. I feel like I'm, 
I can't say that I've absolutely never seen it. I feel like I might have seen it. You've definitely seen some bits on TV. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen snippets, but I don't remember sitting down and watching the whole thing. Right. But, you know, there's probably many films I do not remember. Um, you know, when you're young, you're just watching shit, and you're like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't know. When I was young, I had two videotapes of Airplane and Blazing Saddles, and, and I watched them, them over and over again. Mine was Star yeah. Wars and uh, um, Lion King. My sisters and I can uh, do the entire... Like we can, we know all the words to the Lion King. I hadn't it's seen terrible. the Lion King until recently. What I've did you think? Never seen it. It's really good. It's I nice. don't know if it's as good as Bambi though. Oh, Bambi is fantastic, and Bambi is one of the bases bases for the Lion King, obviously. Mm-hmm. Bambi and Hamlet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bambi is fantastic, fantastic and and brutal. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember having watched that either, but I feel like I must have. You should watch it, and there's a sequel. There's a sequel. There's a sequel. That, there's a sequel that came out about ten years ago called Bambi Two. It's the longest time between. In the city, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the longest time between. I'm so glad you didn't say Electric Boogaloo. Um, uh, it's, it's the longest time between like sequels. Right. Um, and Patrick Stewart is Bambi's father. It's it's the time between uh, Bambi's. Uh, yeah, it's so well done. Yeah. It's the time between Bambi's mother dying yeah. and him like becoming the new prince of the forest then the forest fire and everything at the end of the first thing so it, it takes place in a in time that the first movie sort of skips over right okay yeah oh wow but, and patrick stewart's in it and he is a glorious human he's so. fantastic have you seen green room no he plays a, a nazi like that uh like uh the head of this group of neo-nazis he's excellent he looks really good as an old Nazi. <laughs> You're just like, oh! Like, yeah. Oh. He, he's just so thoroughly convincing. Yeah. I'm sure he's a nice person. I'm sure he is. He apparently has, um, he performed with the Improvised Shakespeare Company a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to another podcast about it from, as an interview with the guy. American group. The I think the American company, yeah. the Improvised Shakespeare Company, and they, uh, they had Patrick Stewart guest on the show. And, and they were just like, oh my, God. oh my God, this is happening. And then he came back again and he came back and he was like, it seems to me that the thing to do is to agree on things. And they were like, yes, that's right. Oh my God, thank you, Patrick. Oh my God, Patrick Scott. Uh, which is just glorious. I'll, I'll see if I can find, remember what episode of the podcast it is. Because I, I was just like, I can't imagine doing improvised Shakespeare with someone that you go, mm. you, you, you're you. You, yeah. oh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, like, imagine doing, like, Deep Space Nine-Eye with him. Being like, Patrick Stewart, would you please pretend to be our captain? <laughs> I just want you to say, make it so, so many times. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That Have so you seen cool. those old um, RSC uh, How to Act Shakespeare videos? No. From like, Oh, they're so great. From, like, the... Are they serious? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. It's not like... Nigel Planer did a, did a fantastic thing. Have you seen the... The um, uh, Nicholas Craig master, acting masterclass series. No. Ah, oh, it's so great. Okay. He talks about okay. All I was going to say about the RSC ones is yeah. is like there's Ian McKellen and Judy Dench and Patrick Stewart like in their civvies getting up and doing bits from Richard the Second and stuff. It's just and you're like <gasps> yeah. Um, but the um the Nicholas Craig ones yeah. uh it's um it's ingeniously done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholas Craig is sort of a um, is a, a English lovey actor type played by Nigel Planer who was okay. you know, on the young ones. Okay. Um, and he will give acting uh, lessons to you know to the camera 
and there are things on how to present gardening shows, how to do uh, restoration drama, all these different things. And then he will play uh, video clips from BBC Productions, which back up his, his the lessons he's just been teaching. <laughs> like, you know, if you get into a fight, make sure you knock over as much crockery as possible and try to land on a table. And then, then they'll show something from, you know, Rob Roy, you know, yeah. with smash, people smash, just smash. smashing. Yeah. Oh, that's so glorious. I'll, I'll have to look that up as well. Uh, I feel like we've done, we've done a pretty long, oh. long whack. It's, we're up to 50 minutes. Okay. 51. Um, that's really great. Are you, are you working on any shows at the moment that we can plug? Or are you... Are you this comes out really... Like you now, get, this I, is going to go out like tomorrow. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we can plug. Well, I'm doing one with Matt. Yeah, yes. the the National Average, which is yes. uh, our, our improv duo. Yes, which we've done for your knife fight show a couple mm-hmm. of times. Um, that's on the second of March at yes. the Fringe Bar in Wellington. Uh, Nine o'clock. I don't know. I think it's part of the Dank Comedy Show. Part of the Dank Show. I'm also There'll doing be a link. Yeah. Also doing Dank on the Saturday. Great. Uh, then I've got. Two nights in at the Dunedin Fringe mm-hmm. with a show called Joy and Shame in the Summertime. Oh, is this new? Uh, it's new and older, and older stuff. It's just oh, because okay. I took the Iggy Pop show down there last year. Yes. And it was serious. It was quite serious show. And so I just wanted to do like a very, very silly show. Great. So I want to let people know that I'm not just a big, a, a, a C-grade Spalding Gray, also a C grade Vic Reeves. Yay! Yeah, so um, <laughs> uh, that's in that's the I think the ninth and tenth at mm-hmm. Emerson's Festival Club. Great. Uh, uh, other than that, if uh, people can come up and just like give me money, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Particularly if there's no paperwork, yep. you know, just, just cash. Yeah. Yep. Great. Great. Solid. Well, if you spot Johnny Potts, give him a give him a fiver or a twenty. Who knows? Whatever's in your wallet. Thanks so much for coming to chat. Thank you, Jen. That was episode 15 with Johnny Potts. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, get out to see his show, National Average. Uh, Dank Comedy Presents National Average. Him and Matt Powell will be in that, and that's going to be a good show. I'm going to go to a rehearsal tonight to help him along with it, um, or at least go, that was good, do that bit again. That's how rehearsing works. That's what being a director is, right? Uh, I'll, I'll listen back to my discussion with Chabitha and confirm on that. Ah, anyway, it's uh, Saturday. No, it's it's Friday today when you're listening to this, which means that tomorrow is Saturday and I will be in the midst of um, performing a 10-hour soap opera. And if you want to come check that out, it would be super great. Deep Space Nine-Eye at Bats Theatre. It's going to be really fun. It'd be great to see you there. Come watch us have a very silly time for you. And for, uh, for Red Cross, we're donating the profit from the show to um, their Syrian crisis appeal because it's one thing to make a silly piece of art and it's another to um, let that silly piece of art um, do something good for people beyond just giving them a smile. And it would be really nice to have lots of support and um, make that a thing. Anyway, check that out. Thanks for listening to What's Your Jam. Ciao. What's Your Jam is recorded in Wellington and is part of the New Zealand Fringe Festival 2017. Music by Robbie Ellis. Casual interference and support from Molly the Cat. Tea provided by Tea Leaf Tea on Manor Street. Jam expertly crafted by Bachmans. This show is hosted and produced by me, Jennifer O'Sullivan, and you can find useful links, more episodes, and suggest future guests by visiting whatsyourjam.nz. Thanks for listening. 